is The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. I'm your host, Paul Parisi. And I'm Jacob Young. On The Edge of Innovation, we talk about the intersection between technology and business, what's going on in technology, and what's possible for business. Today on The Edge of Innovation, we're continuing our discussion with Paul Buckley, a pastor at a Christian church in Haverhill, Massachusetts. Let's listen in. We're on the track here of Jesus died for your sins. I'm not sure why he would need to die for sins, but we'll talk about that in a second. But you just said, made in the image of God. You mentioned that a couple of times. Mm -hmm. If God is God in anybody's measure of God, that seems a little bit boastful or a little bit, I'm equal to the president or I'm equal to Tom Brady. No, you're not. So where does that come from? Yeah. Well, the Bible teaches us that in the beginning chapters of the Bible, which are really foundational for all that falls in the Bible. It really tells us our origins, and it tells us that we're made by God in, in his image. Really, that we see both there, and the whole storyline of the Bible is the invisible God, the God that is beyond physical sight, making himself known, making himself visible through his creation. He shows what he's like through his creation. He does that in multiple ways. He does that just in the, the things we all enjoy, beautiful fall days in New England, the ocean, majestic mountains, all those sorts of things. Chocolate. Chocolate. Uh, he, he shows himself through all these things, and we, we love those, engaging those things, but he shows himself through mankind. Mankind is kind of the pinnacle of him revealing himself and showing us what he's like. Um, we don't image him completely, and... And we don't image him, we know perfectly, but we do image him. We do show what he's like. He's, he's relational, he's moral. He's into creating and recreating and, and, and expressing himself through interacting with creation. And those are just some of the ways that we, that we image God. It sounds sort of genetics, like you see somebody and say, hey, you look just like this person. Oh yeah, he's my father. Yeah. So that's, a, that's an interesting, you know, that children come out in the image of their parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's foundational to a Christian worldview that we're made in the image of God, and certainly I could argue for it from different avenues, but most importantly, the, the scriptures reveal that truth, give us that truth to build other things on. Okay, so now let's go back to you were saying that Christ died for our sins. I don't know, did Confucius, the Buddha die for his people's sins, or is it, is it channelized like that? Well, certainly I think every worldview deals with the issue of failure, of moral failure. And Buddhism has its own practices and thoughts on that. But Buddha didn't die to atone for sins. Um, He didn't die to deal with sins and the implications of sins. And so Christ died to atone for sins. So he died to pay the the penalty, the consequences of, of sin. So let me just back up. We were talking about the image of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're made in the image of God, and so as such, we, we know right and wrong, and we have, actually the Bible would say, we have an inherent sense of God. And so when we make choices not to love others, and most importantly, not to love God, because he's made himself known just in creation, when we choose not to love him and to live that way, that that's sinning. So that's either by committing things that are wrong or failing to do what's right. Or, or the, the, all of the law, all of the ways, the ethics of God can be summed up in two simple commandments. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. So failure to do those things is, is sin. And God is just. He's good. Therefore, he has to be just. And therefore, he has to 
bring consequences to bear. He has to deal with wrongdoing. We all have an inherent sense of justice. We want wrong things dealt with, and we want people who perpetrate evil things to be dealt with. God's no different. Matter of fact, he's the guy that made us like that. Mm -hmm. And in his goodness, he judges sin. And the punishment for sin, the punishment for rebellion against God is is to be pushed away from his presence, to experience what it's like to be separated from goodness. And so we see that to a degree in the world we live in. Part of the brokenness of our world is a consequence of sin. And there's a spiritual consequence of a broken relationship through our sin. We believe as Christians that should we not reconcile with God, not respond to his gracious activity, we'll live eternally separated from him. So Christ came, God came in the flesh, became a man, lived a life of love for God, love for others, and then laid down that good life on the cross in our place to pay for the sins that we deserve to pay for. So through faith in him, simply believing and receiving him as the one that uh, rescues us and leads us onward, we are forgiven. Our sins are paid for and we're reconciled to God. And that's really the start of a new life. It's a a start of reconciliation of a new creation in God and a life living, following Jesus and being fruitful people that Mm -hmm. impacts us now, has a huge impact on how we live life now, and really, we believe, impacts us for eternity, leads Mm -hmm. us into an eternity of uh, following Christ. So you've mentioned that Christ died for my sins, or for sins, or for, I don't know, you can can clarify that, died for sins that I might not have even known I had. I mean, certainly I've been, I've done some bad things, but that isn't that just the way it is. I mean, so... Am I excluded from heaven? Is it, is it God actively keeping me out, or what's, what's the deal there? Is, and is that the goal? We're, we're sort of talking about, is there an afterlife? You know, because if there's not an afterlife, well, then, then you can, you know, do whatever you want, right? Except we have this inherent concept of good and evil, and I shouldn't hurt the people that I don't like. Yeah, I think there's a historic view of these things in, in light of, like, I want to go to heaven, you know, so I want to believe these things so I get to go to heaven. And I don't think that's really the, the whole picture. Sometimes it gets shortened and re- reduced and misses a lot of things. The issue isn't heaven, per se. The issue is God. And the Bible's very clear that the reality is, is that we are separated from God by our sin. Just as we get into conflict with people, we do something terrible against our neighbor. It makes it difficult to interact with them. We don't have the same relationship. So there's a relational problem with God because of us, not because of him. He still is the same. He's committed to being gracious and good and kind. But we have broken the relationship with our sinful choices, with choosing not to love him and not to love others. And we're kind of stuck there. We're, we're addicted to dumb decisions in some ways. So you're, um, so you're saying that the actual way I behave has an effect on how I know God or experience him? Yes, I I think that we all have that problem. And collectively together, it makes a big mess. So we we tend to externalize this, don't we? So we look at the news, we look at what's going on in the world, and we think, what terrible people. But those are people just like us. And we could be the people doing that thing that we critique. Humanity has a problem. We have it as individuals. I I think of I think it was G.K. Chesterton. They asked people to write what they thought the biggest problem in the world is, and okay. his submission was something like, "Dear sirs, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton." And was he a criminal? 
No, he was a more very moral man, but he recognized it. So he's a, an, an author and a theologian back in the that early 1900s, and he understood that his big, the biggest problem in the world is each of us individually in our in our broken relationship with God. That we live in this place where we we make bad decisions, we follow the insanity of not loving a creator who's given us all these things, not loving our neighbors as ourselves. So that's the reality, and, and that reality in our sin and in our brokenness with God has cut us off from an ongoing relationship with, with him. So as I'm hearing you, I'm sort of thinking, well, why wouldn't I like my neighbor? Why wouldn't I just be kind and nice to people? I know that certain people annoy me, and I, I mean, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm struggling with the, what's the reason for that, and is, is this what religion is about, trying to answer that question, or is it trying to answer our relationship with God question? Or is it both, and they're, they're so closely mingled that you can't separate them? Yeah, I'd say the latter. In the Christian worldview, that loving God and loving our neighbors are connected. It says in one place we really can't say we love God if we don't love our neighbors. Mm-hmm. So they're connected, and I think we all have problems loving our neighbors. And but they're not that bad. I mean, you know, I... I tolerate them. So, are you saying it's supposed to be better than that, or is it supposed to be? You know, I'm just I'm struggling with what the problem is here. I do. I will admit that I struggle with some people, but let's say that's something I could overcome, and I can just be nice to everybody. Yeah, I think your standard is a little too light, from what I hear. It says the standard is love your neighbor as yourself, um, that we are to love our neighbors on the same level that we love ourselves. And, so what and, does that mean? I mean, practically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We have equal regard for their well-being that we do for ourselves. And, and it doesn't necessarily mean that you spend as much time and energy on your neighbor as yourself, because I think you have a, there's a priority of responsibility that plays into all that. But your regard for their well-being is on the same level as regard for your own well-being. Now, is this a religious teaching or is this a Christian teaching? Do all religions teach this? They may or may not get into that level of defining what it means, okay. but Scripture's detailed in that. This famous story of the Good Samaritan who went out of his way and was very much inconvenienced to care for someone who was his natural enemy. Hmm. Jesus said that that was... The implication of the story was that Samaritan was being a good neighbor to that that wounded and needy man. So it's detailed to a, a great level, just the, the depth of care, the depth of concern, the depth of action that, that's supposed to be there. Always worried about keeping current with IT? Savior Labs is an IT and web services firm that cares for your business and team. Savior Labs solves problems so you can focus on what you do best. Prepare for 2018 with a free IT assessment. Just follow the link in our show notes and enter code SAVIOR, S-A-V-I-O-R. And now we're back listening to our conversation with Pastor Paul Buckley. So it sounds like there are implications as you discover different facets of this worldview. So as you discover, gee, God's pretty cool, I want to be his friend. Well, just be his friend. But then this problem of sin, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? So can I just solve my own sin and just not sin? No. <laughs> that, that, that would be nice in some ways, I guess, but that's we can't. So we need help. That's the core, really, of, of why Christ came, why God became a man to why come. Why do that? I mean, what's in it for him? So, so you're telling me that this 
Christ came to earth, lived a good life, and, I mean, I think I've lived a good life, so how does that compare? Well, ask that question. But then, so he lives this good life, somehow special, and then he dies in, for my sins. So explain that interchange to me. Mm -hmm. Well, he lived a perfect life. He never failed in his intention. He never had lesser regard for others than himself. Mm -hmm. He had uh, never had lesser regard for God, God the Father. He loved God the Father with, with his whole life, and he lived uh, in that way, being full of faith and full of obedience, full of goodness and service to others. He demonstrated that he was more than just an average man in his miracles. So his life was on a level way above any of ours in the both the perfection and the scope of what he did. We're not we're not going around walking on water, raising the dead. He he did. So he demonstrated that he was more than the average man, way more the average man or woman. So so he was unique in that way. And as God and man together, two natures in, in one being, he was fully able to live that life and then fully able in offering that life to be in our place, to pay for our sins and basically earn for us all the blessings of a, of a right relationship with God uh, simply through faith. So that's that's the core of the Christian message. That's the good news that he's died for our sins and, and now there's forgiveness and new life and so forth. Okay, so there's forgiveness. So I go and offend somebody and I say, you know, your clothing is just terrible and I hurt them and they cry and I feel bad. This is sort of a trivial example here. Mm -hmm. So I go to them and ask for forgiveness and they forgive me and we make up. And is that what you're sort of talking about here? But it sounds like to a, a different quantum level. Yes, right. So uh, certainly forgiveness with individuals is important, but forgiveness with God is most important. So when you say those things to your friend, you need forgiveness from them, but you actually need forgiveness from God because they're made in God's image and he cares a lot about them and he cares about you. So I've not only offended them, I've offended God. Right, more importantly, yeah. Does it matter if they're a Christian or not? No, it doesn't. They're human. Okay, so just a person. Mm -hmm. I go and offend them and you're saying I've effectively or really offended God. Right, yeah, and that would be the more important, more serious perhaps offense in what you did. So, okay, I can breathe somewhat of a sigh of relief when somebody says, I'm no longer angry at you. And maybe I can go to God and say, you know, forgive me for this and breathe a sigh of relief that he forgives me in some form or fashion. But I'm going to make another mistake. So do I have to keep doing this or just try really hard not to make a mistake? Yeah, you are, you are going to make another mistake. And that's why we need forgiveness. We need it all the time. We need to live in it. We need to define ourselves as forgiven ones. I think part of making mistakes over and over again is because we don't define ourselves as forgiven and changed by God. So the good news comes in and says we're forgiven. God forgives us. He's for us. See, God, God loves us. He wants to treat us as if we've never done wrong. He wants to bless us and help us. He wants to be close to us. So I had asked you earlier, well, what's in it for him? Can you explain that? So I think a lot of people have an idea of God as sort of like an angry man, an angry old man or, or you know, whatever. Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Mm -hmm. That seems very different when you say he loves us. Well, what does that mean? And I think even a lot of churches I've seen will say, you know, he loves us, but that doesn't mean you're going to be happy. So can you expound yeah. on that a little bit? Well, first off, he, he loves us and he does want us to be happy. 
getting us there might not be our best choice of how to get there. But he does want us to be happy. He he loves us. And he, as far as the question, what's in it for him, I don't think we can quite ask that question in the same way we might think in terms of human relationships, because God's not like us. The, the Bible teaches us that he's not in need. He's, he doesn't need us. He's not lonely. He's not sitting there thinking, I, I just don't have enough friends, so I'm going to go do this stuff to get more friends. He's perfect. He's complete in himself. He's a, there's three persons in one. It's mystery of the Trinity. So there's this relationship that's been there forever. It's a perfect relationship and full of all that you would think would come with an infinite being. Mm-hmm. So he's not needy. And he's not trying to get a deal out of this. He's just expressing who he is in creation and in the unfolding of time. In these actions, he's expressing himself. He's being himself. And part of who he is is he's a God of infinite love. He has that much love that he's glad and he's eager to show that love to to humans. But he's also a God of perfect justice and, and wisdom and goodness. So he has to deal with that side of things, too. So the wonderful part of the good news is that God makes a way that he can pour out his infinite love and blessing on us and deal with the injustices that we've perpetrated in a perfect way so we can be forgiven. That forgiveness doesn't just mean petty like, you know, he, I guess he's not angry with me anymore. No, it means full inheritance and rights to his love and all that comes with that. So to be a Christian is to live in that love and to learn how to be more loving as well. So that's where, you know, you're going to make a mistake again. Yes, but when you start this walk and start to know God and live in these truths, there's a change in our outlook. There's a change inside of us. The scripture talks about being a new creation. Mm-hmm. And there's the ability to start changing in what we do. Now we still fail and we still need to remember that we're forgiven. And we need to remember that we've been given a new relationship and that relationship defines us more than our failures. And I think there's great power in that to, to change and to be a better person that comes out of that. Okay, so, so you're saying that that sounds pretty attractive. I mean, to say, okay, I am going to be forgiven for my sins, even ones I haven't committed yet, or, you know, ones I commit. In other words, there's this relationship, I guess, you're talking about that has been restored with God in some form or fashion. Mm-hmm. But what does it cost me? I mean, it's, uh, I'm, what's the downside here? Do I have to, you know, dress a certain way? Do I have to... It sounds like too good of a deal. Yeah. Well, it costs you both nothing and everything. It costs you nothing because it's through simple faith. It's putting your faith in him, believing this message to be true, and then entrusting yourself to the person of Christ. So that really doesn't cost you anything. You're not earning something there. Mm-hmm. He doesn't wait to see you know, what else you get, you're going to do to kind of cinch the deal. So it's simply through faith, a faith that turns away from sin and towards Christ. So in that faith is a change, or what we would call repentance. So it's turning to him in faith. So it costs you nothing in that sense, but it costs you everything because to be joined to him is to be transformed by him and to live a new life of loving him and following him. And really, when we make that decision to trust him, we're laying everything else down. We're saying, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. Now, the sorts of changes that come in our lives, the sorts of things that he leads us into are are not silly things. It's not about wearing a special sort of hat or something Mm -hmm. around or, you know, an unusual costume or something like that. It's about ethical changes, belief changes. Those are the sorts of things that we we change in. So that's where it costs us in a sense, but but those things follow from 
from what we believe. And those things are actually, I, th- I think they're really good things. The sorts of changes, the sorts of ethics that we live in, the, the sorts of decisions that we, we make as a result, are, I think are good things and have a very positive impact all around us. He, he doesn't promise us a life of ease and comfort necessarily, but he does promise us himself and the, the strength, the help, the comfort that comes from being in relationship with him that can take us through the difficulties of life. Interesting. So I'm, I'm trying to think what the core needs are in life. You know, we need food, shelter, but is it relationship? Is, is that the core thing we want? And, you know, because I was thinking in the analogy where I said somebody's clothes were ridiculous or something and hurt their feelings, what I'm doing there is breaking a relationship. Doing that, my, you know, I might say, well, gee, I want, you know, I, I want life to me is I want to be rich. I want to have a lot of houses and cars and things like that. What is the core need that we're trying to fulfill, and how does that integrate or not integrate with being a Christian and knowing who God is? Yeah, I don't think the core needs are food, clothing, and shelter. Those are important physical needs. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to get by without them, but they're not the core needs. It's not really what we live for. We live for something deeper and greater, and I think we live for things that come from relationships, but I don't think it's relationships per se. I, I think we're looking for purpose. We're looking for love. We're looking for acceptance. I think we're looking for God, really. I think that makes sense if we think about it. He's made us in his image. He's made creation to be a place where he shows himself. And so if we have a broken relationship with him, we're going to try to find him in a sense, even if it's in a confused way. So I think that's what we're looking for. And we can find a degree of that in healthy relationships. So we want to celebrate those things. Even there seems to be so few examples of healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. In, I mean, media and all the different things. You, you don't, you know, you hear Brad and Angelina break up, you know, and oh my gosh, it's terrible. But it, it doesn't, you don't hear about all the good relationships. Yeah. It seems to be our lot that we're not having a lot of good relationships as humans. No, there's a lot of problems, I think. But, you know, there's a lot of good things that we see out there and we celebrate that, right? So, you know, we're watching what's happened in Houston and we're watching people respond and to do you know heroic things to, mm-hmm. to help people and, and we all love to, to watch that and participate as we're able as well. So we're we're looking for that. We celebrate, we love those things, but yeah, we're we're living in a broken world. So at one moment we're reading these stories of heroism and then another moment we're reading these stories of, of terrible relational things and tragedy. And again that you know, we're made in the image of God. So we're we're made to be like him and he's loving and he's like that he lays his life down for us uh, and that idea of someone doing that inspires us and he's the one that rescues us from the brokenness our brokenness we again we need we need the help we need reconciliation we need a change in our lives to learn how to build relationships that are healthy to do that in all the different contexts of our relationships We've been listening to part 2 of an interview with Paul Buckley a pastor at a Christian church in Haverhill Massachusetts we encourage you to look at our show notes where you can find links to Paul and his church that he pastors and Christianity in general. We find that a lot of great ideas come from our listeners and we'd love to hear from you. Please do that by following our show notes and looking for the feedback link. The Edge of Innovation is brought to you in partnership with Savior Labs. Savior Labs exists to help businesses mature and strategize for the future. Learn more about Savior Labs at SaviorLabs.com.
Thank you for listening to this episode of The Edge of Innovation, Hacking the Future of Business. For the show notes and more information about Paul, please visit paulparisi.com. The Edge of Innovation is produced by Jacob Young in conjunction with copious amounts of coffee. Music on today's episode was from bensound.com. Paul can be found on Twitter at pdparisi and on LinkedIn at linkedin.com slash pdparisi. This episode, like all our episodes, is transcribed and available at paulparisi.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.